Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dawn, the host of Procovery Podcasts. We are very pleased to bring you the second podcast of our Conversations Across the Nation series, which includes an interview with William A. Anthony, PhD, Director of Boston University's Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation, and a professor in the College of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences at Boston University. For the past 35 years, Dr. Anthony has worked in various roles in the field of mental health and psychiatric rehabilitation and has been honored for his performance as a researcher, an educator, and a clinician. He is currently co-editor of the Psychiatric Rehabilitation Journal. Dr. Anthony has appeared on ABC's Nightline, which featured a rehabilitation program developed and implemented by Boston University's Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation. In 1992, Dr. Anthony received the Distinguished Service Award from the President of the United States for his efforts in promoting the dignity, equality, independence, and employment of people with disabilities. Dr. Anthony has authored over 100 articles in professional journals, 16 textbooks, and several dozen book chapters, and was the author of the foreword for The Power of Procovery in Healing Mental Illness, for which we are most honored. We are very happy to be able to bring you this interview today, and we hope you enjoy listening. Here we ask Dr. Anthony what those who are overworked, understaffed, and spend more time documenting care than providing it, and have no new resources to commit to systems change, can do to implement recovery, and here he shares his suggestion. Now the interesting thing is that it really doesn't take a whole lot of money to move towards a recovery vision. The the most critical thing is a, a person's, a helper's ability to engage or connect or their interpersonal skills, however you want to phrase that, the relationship. That to us is what makes the difference. Now, you got to have programs and systems to fund them and all those other type of things. But if you just start to use your interpersonal skills and focus on engaging and connecting with people, treating them like people, it's amazing the movement towards recovery you can get without new funding or anything else. I think one thing recovery does is it brings hope to the system, you know, that people can move on, they can heal, they can grow, etc. And if a person believes in that and has good interpersonal skills and is willing to connect and engage people, you can do a lot of things in moving towards recovery without new resources. Many of our listeners have expressed frustration that more money is not flowing to recovery-oriented services. Here, Dr. Anthony shares his thoughts on this. I think one of the problems is the funding that's flowing to organizations and programs is not being used correctly. So I think what the first thing we need to do is make good use of the funding we have and and not hold out hope, especially in this time, for more funding. And what I would suggest about that is that you can make your organization or program or department really more compatible with recovery by just starting to make it consistent with what I would call the values of recovery, values like uh, personhood, choice, having people involved in the program, And what you can do is you can look at all your policies and procedures and documentation and staff training and so forth and try and align it with these recovery values so that when I look at a program, 
often I see, geez, the, the documentation they're doing does, does not really reflect the value of personhood or or choice or anything like that, or or the way they do staff training or selection doesn't really reflect the value of involving people in the in the actual program, you know, person involvement. So if you just took all your policies and procedures, documentation, training, and ran them through a funnel of recovery values and see how much they matched up to those values, I think you can go a long ways towards approximating a recovery program without a whole lot of, of new resources. And I'm not saying we don't need new resources in this field, but what I'm saying is we can't use it as an excuse for not diligently and intensively pursuing a, uh, a recovery vision. We asked Dr. Anthony if there's a question he feels we should all be asking ourselves. The first thing that comes to mind, and I guess the thing that's been bothering me the most lately, is I wish we just started asking ourselves, why is there so much force and coercion in our system? You know, there's still seclusion and restraint, there's still chemical restraints, there's still subtle indications of coercion, you know, which I'd call like rolling your eyes when somebody talks or, or walking away from them or whatever. But I think there are programs that have really started to eliminate almost force, coercion, chemical restraints, etc. And I really think we need to start asking ourselves as a system, why are we relying on force so much? Because there are programs that aren't. You know, the same clients, same type of clients, and they're not using force, and they're not using coercion. Crisis centers, inpatient units, etc. Because I think force is the elephant in the room, kind of, that we don't realize what a impact the fact that we can force the people we serve to do things that we want done, not necessarily what they want done. I, I have a chronic disorder myself, MS, and I find that if, if my neurologist could force me to do certain things, to join certain programs, to live a certain way, I would have a very different relationship with my uh, neurologist. I certainly wouldn't tell her so much. I wouldn't be as open and as forthcoming. It would just sour our whole relationship if I knew she could force me to do certain things. So I don't think we realize the impact that this is having on, on our system, both very overtly and covertly. Dr. Anthony shares what he would say to someone who is working in the public mental health system and losing faith that the system will ever successfully embrace and implement recovery. Right. It has seemed like a long time. I, I, as I said, I wrote uh, first things about recovery in the early 90s, and people with psych disabilities were using that word before then. I think, you know, we're really talking about trying to turn an ocean liner around. We've been so wrong for so many years in, in our mental health practices that it's not going to be an easy fix and it's not going to be a quick fix. I think if you look back at uh, like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, when you look at how they define severe mental illness into the 90s almost, they said it was schizophrenia, for example, was, uh, let's see, defined by uh, acute exacerbations with increasing deterioration between episodes. So if you got that diagnosis at that time, there was no hope. You know, they just quashed your hope. So, you know, a lot has changed since then. I think most importantly, uh, peer involvement. I think once people with disabilities um, started to have a say in this field, that it's kind of like the camel has its nose under the tent, so to speak. There's no turning back now. I don't think we can ever go back to the way we were, where there was no hope and we just expected to maintain people but not have them recover. And 
So a lot has changed, but as people would say, a lot hasn't. But I, I think if you look at historically, things have changed. If you're looking in the long view of things. The long view of things, right. If you're looking for change from year to year, you can find it in individual programs, but you won't find it in an entire system usually. Here, Dr. Anthony shares what he does to re-energize if he's ever feeling discouraged or losing faith that real sustainable systems change can come about. Well, I can speak for myself, what I think about and, and how I can re-energize myself. I think about the system in which I was trained originally as a Ph.D. in psychology. I mean, there was no talk about rehab. People were just uh, primarily institutionalized. And when they were deinstitutionalized, we just gave them a prescription for their medicine when they left. I mean, we didn't have any community programs in place. And now we're trying to, as I say, in contrast, open the doors to the community and help people develop a prescription for their lives. Uh, so I think that's a big change. Uh, and that, that energizes me when I, when I reflect back on how things used to be. We didn't even talk about rehabilitation for people with severe mental illnesses. That was something for people with physical disabilities, not psychiatric illnesses. And we certainly didn't even use the term psychiatric disability. So I think when I think about what I entered and what's happened now, you know, we have funding, Medicaid funding now for psychiatric rehabilitation. That was unheard of. You know, we have Americans with Disability Act, which included people with psych disabilities, which, of course, people were fighting to keep people with psychiatric disabilities or mental illness out of the ADA. There's a lot of things that, that has changed. The idea that, gee, people with psychiatric disabilities can work, they can live independently. Not that we're doing a great job of doing that, but I think we now admit as a field that that's a real possibility. So I, I guess I have to reflect back on, on what the, how things were and how they moved a little bit, and, and that gives me some hope. Here we asked Dr. Anthony what he would like his legacy to be. Well, that's interesting. Nobody's ever asked me that before. I guess it'd be nice if people said we, he listened. I've said for years that the primary source of our learning is not our books and our theories, but the people we're supposed to serve and their families. And that's who I've listened to. And if, if it's got me ahead of the game in any way, it's because uh, I wasn't all wrapped up in what I would call silly theories and uh, theories trying to explain how the world worked uh, in mental health. Rather, I'd sit and listen and, and talk to people that we're serving. We hired many of them initially, and, and they set us on a good course. So I guess the uh, most important thing was listening. Uh, so if people just said he listened, I'd be happy. Next, Dr. Anthony speaks about what gives him hope. I think the fact that there are now family members and people with psychiatric disabilities so involved in our field... I think that's really the difference maker. I think once people with disabilities and their families started to advocate and had the policy makers ear and so forth, I think that's changed everything. You know, I've always tried to, to say what I'm about is common sense. And certainly I think that's what people with disabilities are about. They want some common sense approaches to their situation and they're demanding them. It's just made a, a tremendous difference in this field. And I think it's going to continue to change the field from here on out. So that's what, that's what really gives me hope. Here, Dr. Anthony shares one of his favorite quotes. It's not an inspirational quote, but it's a challenging quote. It's uh, something Thomas Edison said. 
he was talking about opportunity and taking advantage of opportunities. And he said the reason most people don't recognize opportunity when it comes knocking at their door is that it's usually dressed in overalls and disguised as hard work. So I think, you know, I think that's where the field is right now. It applies to so many things in our field. We have some opportunities that we didn't have before, but it's going to be an awful lot of work, awful lot of hard work. And, and I know your organization knows that better than anybody. But uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that we have really break us west. We asked Dr. Anthony to share one thing he would like others to know about him. I have three daughters, and I survived their teenage years to watch them grow up to be wonderful women. And so, uh, you know, anybody out there that's listening that has teenage daughters, uh, they do come back. You know, the teenage culture changes. Uh, I mean, they they grow through the teenage daughter culture, and uh, they come back as wonderful women. So I guess that's one thing I would like others to know, that I survived three teenage daughters. We asked Dr. Anthony what he is in awe of, and this is what he had to say. I would say uh, people with disabilities who are trying to recover and the people who are trying to help them. I mean, there are some, there are some real miracles going on. But to me, uh, a person with a severe physical disability learning to walk again or something. I mean, there are people that were just given up on or nothing, not much was expected of. And uh, they got engaged in their own recovery and there, there were people that stood by them and affirmed them and listened to them, uh, held out hope for them, maybe when they were even weren't hopeful for themselves. And uh, eventually they recovered. And by that I mean they, they went on to a life of, of new meaning and purpose in their life, uh, a life they probably thought they weren't going to have when they heard the diagnosis or what was uh, typically thought of of people with severe mental illness. So I think it's it's miracles. You know, they they are doing miracles, and there are miracle workers out there that are uh, that just have me shaking my head. As, isn't that unbelievable? Here we asked Dr. Anthony if he had anything else to add. I think that that there are people, and they could be family members, they could be the person uh, themselves, uh, they could be the helpers, et cetera. Somebody's got to be the keeper of the hope. I, I entered a field where there was little hope for people with severe mental illnesses. Yes, we could maintain them and maybe in the community. They could exist maybe outside the hospital. But let me tell you, as, as the mental health system, we weren't big on hope. I think that's one thing is that everybody has to have a keeper of the hope. Uh, I hope we don't forget that. I hope we don't forget that. We would like to extend our most sincere thank you to Dr. William Anthony for taking the time to speak with us and for sharing his vision, commitment, and passion. Please continue to tune in as we hear from exciting, inspiring, and diverse guests across varied settings. And remember to pass the Procovery Podcast page link along to friends, family, and colleagues. As always, we invite you to follow us at www.twitter.com slash procovery and to visit our new YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash procovery institute. Today, we would like to end by paraphrasing Brenda Euland in honor of Dr. Anthony and his lifetime of listening. Listening is a magnetic and strange thing, a creative force. When we are listened to, it creates us, makes us unfold and expand. 
ideas actually begin to grow within us and come to life. When we listen to other people, there is an alternating current that recharges us so that we never get tired of each other. And it is this little creative fountain inside us to spring and cast up new thoughts and unexpected laughter and wisdom. It is when people really listen to us with quiet, fascinated attention that the little fountain begins to work again to accelerate in the most surprising way.